May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. One thing that we know for absolute certain from the Gospels is that John the Baptist knew how to draw a crowd. Because you see, the Gospels are written from four different perspectives with four different audiences in mind. And they all include little bits and details, different parts of the same story. And when you read them together, you find that there are very few things that are consistent all the way across, that appear in all four Gospels almost word for word. But the success of John's ministry is one of those details that makes it in every single gospel. And in fact, they're not the only historical source that we have that verifies that this prophetic figure in the middle of the desert, wearing camel skins and preaching a radical new message, got some attention. The Jewish historian Josephus also chronicles John's ministry, and has this to say, John commanded the Jews to exercise virtue, righteousness toward one another, and piety toward God. For only thus, in John's opinion, would the baptism he administered be acceptable to God, namely if they used it to obtain not pardon for some sins, but rather the cleansing of their bodies, inasmuch as it was taken for granted that their souls had already been purified by righteousness. Now many people came in crowds to him, for they were greatly moved by his words. And the core of John's message that he preached day after day from the banks of the River Jordan was fairly simple. It was a new vision of God's kingdom, one where God's kingdom had already come into the world and where it was not confined to palaces and temples the way that it had been under the previous kings of Israel and Judah, but it was in the rocks and the hills and the waters. And most of all, it was in the hearts of the people who came day after day to hear John. And on one of those days, one of those people who showed up at the Jordan River was Jesus himself. And Jesus wants to be baptized, and John is hesitant because John gets this vision in his spirit again of God's kingdom alive in the hearts of faithful believers. And he sees the personification of that kingdom in front of him. He recognizes who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about and says, I cannot do this. And Jesus, interestingly, takes John's message and flips it right back on him. He says, no, it is proper for us to do this in all righteousness, because that was the core of John's vision of the kingdom that had come into the world, one based on righteousness, right acts, where people got along with one another and cared for one another and supported one another and built up community. They lived in right relationship with one another and with God. 
And this was the righteous kingdom that John saw coming into the world. And when Jesus says, I want to be baptized, and John initially refuses, Jesus says, no, this is about the right relationship. In other words, you've had it right all along, and I am here to signify to everyone that I want to take part in this community as well. Jesus brings the kingdom into focus, and John agrees, recognizing the fulfillment of those hopes in Jesus, hopes that will be miraculously and spectacularly confirmed in just a few minutes when the clouds open and the Holy Spirit descends and the voice from heaven says, this is my son. You see, John's hope was based on a kingdom where the water of baptism unites as a community rather than divides because historian Bruce Chilton tells us that in those days the purification ceremonies that were common in Judaism that became the precursor for our baptism were actually used to keep people out. We read a little bit about this in Acts 21 when Paul, who has been out traveling around the Gentile world, comes back to Jerusalem and wants to go into the temple and worship. And the believers there tell him, Paul, you have to spend seven days bathing and purifying yourselves in the pools outside of the temple. You have to shave your head. And not only that, all of the people that you've brought to Jerusalem with you, they all have to do it as well. None of you is pure or worthy to go into the temple. And so Paul, at great expense to himself, pays for his own purification ritual and the purification rituals of all of those who have traveled to Jerusalem with him. And they spend seven days doing the ritual purification baths, shaving their heads, offering the prayers, and finally, they are allowed to go into the temple. This is significant, according to Chilton, because as John the Baptist is standing on the banks of the Jordan River, he is meeting pilgrims, no doubt, who are headed to Jerusalem, who know what they're in for, and he presents to them a different reality, one where their bodies just need a simple wash. They don't have to pay for it. It's not going to take days, and it's, most of all, it's not designed to keep some people in and other people out. It's an invitation to all to come and participate in this new reality, the reality of God's kingdom come into the world. Because according to Chilton, John insisted that the Lord of Israel cleanse the people in his own living waters so that the artificial pools of the temple were not needed. What John offered the people in the temple, in the wilderness, was not a key to the temple, but a new perspective. It was a chance to hear the Spirit's voice speaking within their hearts and to translate it into right relationships with God and one another. And in modern times, we see this vision of a community invested in right relationship in so many different places, but there's one in particular that I'd like to highlight today. And that is St. Thomas Episcopal Church in DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C. In 1965, they called the Reverend Dr. Henry Bruhl to be their rector. And at that particular moment in Washington, D.C., 
there was incredible civil and political unrest. Every day, racial violence was spilling into the streets. People were protesting. People were angry. But not only that, they were angry about the war, too. Anti-war protests rocked the city. It was a volatile situation that Henry Brule inherited. And according to the Washington Post, on his first Sunday, he decided that St. Thomas was going to do something about it. So they organized a Rogation Day parade. They took the church out of the building and into the neighborhood. They marched through the streets and greeted their neighbors and said, your concerns are our concerns. We want an end to racial inequality. We want an end to violence. We are here for you as siblings, as people united in common cause, to support you, to be there for you. And this message started gaining momentum to the point in 1970 when arsonists set fire to St. Thomas Episcopal Church early one morning and completely destroyed the building. They thought that they had silenced the work that this community of faith was doing, but instead they empowered them even more because St. Thomas and Dr. Henry Brule said, our mission is not in a building anyway. Our mission is out there. It's in the hearts and the minds of the people that we are called to serve in our community. And they doubled down on their efforts to connect with their neighbors. They converted their parish hall into a worship space, which, by the way, they still meet in that converted parish hall space to this day. They converted, they eventually would convert the charred remains of their church into a public park so that the people from the community would have a safe place to gather and spend time with one another. They opened their doors to LGBTQ Christians at a time when many churches were hesitant to do that. They continued to work for civil and racial reconciliation in their community. And when the AIDS crisis started ravaging the city in the 80s, Dr. Brule and his wife volunteered in AIDS hospice organizations providing relief and compassionate care to the sick and the dying. They became a church without a building by force, but that was always who they were. They were a community dedicated to community, to bringing in all and building up all. And that is reflected, I think, most clearly in the words that Dr. Henry Brule is credited with adding to our baptismal covenant that we'll repeat in just a few minutes. You see, Dr. Brule fought very hard to have these two questions added. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? And will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? Friends, I believe this is the heart of baptism that is central to our faith. This was the new perspective that John preached day after day in the wilderness. It is the attitude of a church without walls that was the foundation of Henry Brule's ministry and the culture of the parish 
at St. Thomas. It is not about who is in and who is out based on a ritual purification. This is not a key to the church or even to the life of the world to come. No, it is an invitation to join a community, a family of those committed to listening to God's call and finding their place in the world. Because we are invited by virtue of our baptism to participate in God's unfolding mission to the world. What is that mission? I think the prophet Isaiah lays it out for us beautifully. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Today, when darkness and despair seem to be advancing, we are called in righteousness to resist. God has taken us by the hand and said, you will be a light to the nations. In just a few minutes, we are going to welcome newly baptized members the community of faith, the body of Christ. And today, these little ones join a community that is not perfect, but is committed to listening to the Spirit's call and trying to do a little bit better every day. And my prayer for all of them, and I hope that you will join me in this prayer, is this, that there will never be a time in their lives when these young people will not be encouraged to hear God's call and to shine their light into a dark and broken world. Today they join that community where all find their place in the waters of baptism.